Okay. Well, it's time for discussion point. And I, I kind of struggled during the week because of, oh, well, you know, Easter's gone. But I haven't finished talking about Easter. And I was thinking, I don't really want to wait until next year. So today, I want to focus on four theories that are meant to undermine the truth, the historical veracity of the resurrection. Because a lot of people who are not Christians really struggle with the story of Jesus. Some deny he ever even lived. Now, that's impossible. That if, if, if you're going to deny that Jesus ever lived, you might as well deny everything that we accept in any history book because there is so much evidence that he was a person who actually lived on earth. Same with his crucifixion. And with his resurrection, people have more trouble with the resurrection than with anything else. Why? Because our experience tells us people don't rise from the dead. Okay? Our experience tells us it would require a miracle for anyone, including Jesus Christ, to be resurrected, to be raised from the dead. Now, people who don't want to believe that and many of us were in that category of course before we became Christians they have to find a reason not to believe it and as it turns out there are four main reasons that circulate to support the idea that Jesus did not experience resurrection some of these you may have come across at some point the four are the so-called swoon theory, the wasn't buried in a tomb uh, story, the mass hallucination story. That's the one I've enjoyed researching the most, let me tell you. The stolen body story, and, and then this is a fifth dock point I know because I can count. I just want to share briefly about the changed lives evidence that supports his resurrection. There's a whole lot of other evidence and I spent time last Easter going through that. I, I won't go through all that again. But I want to spend a little bit of time on these four stories or four theories. So the first, if we can move on, is the, the so-called swoon story. The idea that Jesus didn't die but went into a deep coma or swoon but was revived in the tomb. Now, people do believe this. I suspect it's people who have never read the Bible and never read any history. But there are plenty of people, including some scholars, who believe that this is true. But there's a few things that go against it. The first is this. What makes anybody think that the Roman soldiers who were experts in crucifixion didn't know what they were doing. Remember, 
that the chief priests went to Pilate and asked Pilate for permission to have the legs broken of those who were on the cross. So Jesus and the two criminals either side of him, they, because they wanted to get on with all their Passover stuff and all their festivities, they needed all of these people dead before the sun set. Right? Because it was a, that when the sun set, they were about to start their high holy day. Right? They didn't want the crucifixions to interfere with that. So they asked Pilate, can we break their legs? Because that would definitely kill them all. Because the Roman, and remember, the Roman soldiers are experts. They did a lot of crucifixions. And by the way, (coughs) if they made a mistake, they would be killed themselves. Okay? They get to Jesus and they declare he's already dead. Righto? So all the signs are that this man, Jesus, is dead. Now, just to make absolutely certain, they shove a spear up inside him and out comes blood and water or or clear fluids. And that's what happens when you're dead. All right? So not only did they look at all that kind of physical evidence, like he looks dead. Now, I have seen a dead person. They don't look like someone who's alive. Let me tell you, I've seen them. They definitely don't look alive. So the Roman guards, just to make certain, shove a spear up, up inside, and they check the fluids that come out. It's very unlikely that they made a mistake. Because experts never make mistakes, do they? Not, not in this world anymore, right? Experts never make mistakes. They change their minds, but they never make mistakes. But look, even if he was still alive and he was in this coma, and hey, listen, do you know what it, what it meant to be scourged back then? By the time the scourging was over, you would virtually have no flesh on your back and your internal organs would be exposed. Because you were scourged with a whip that had multiple leather thongs on it and and tied into those thongs were pieces of sharp bone and metal and they were designed to tear the flesh off your body. And remember also, he, had, he didn't have the strength to carry the cross. Someone else had to carry it for him. Imagine the blood loss. Nails, hands, and probably down around the ankles. Spear in his side. The effects of that scourging. The crown of thorns. On his head. How much blood do you reckon he lost? So somehow or other, he's all wrapped up in cloth, mind you, from head to toe. Be a bit hard to breathe through that stuff. Lost all this blood. Pronounced dead by the experts and somehow in the cool of the tomb, He wakes up, finds the strength to unwrap from the inside all of that bandaging. (gasps) Then he gets up 
I've got to get rid of the seal and I've got to roll the stone and I've been scourged and I've been crucified. I've had a spear shoved up me. Oh, give us a break. Give us a break. Not only that, while he's in the tomb, he's got no water. And he's got no food. The food's not really an issue, but being in the tomb for, uh, some people say he was there for 40 hours, others would say it was actually more like 72 hours, which is three days, which is what he said about himself. No water. Most of us can't survive that long without water. I think you can possibly go four days, but most people can't survive that long without water. So he's got no water. He's got no food. Somehow or other he finds the strength to unwrap himself and then to break the seal and roll the stone. Then he wanders around in that state and appears first to the women, then to the disciples, and then he spends 40 days hanging around with people. I don't think so. I think we can fairly confidently dismiss the swoon theory, even though some academics hold on to it and ridicule the resurrection. Let's move on. The no burial in a tomb story. So this basically suggests that, well, actually, Jesus was never placed in a tomb. That's just a story some jokers wrote in the Bible. They probably colluded when they were writing those Gospels. But he was just buried in a trench with all the other criminals. Now, that was what the Romans typically did, right? That, that, usually that's what happened. You just got shoved into a trench. But there was something different that happened here. Remember? Remember Joseph of Arimathea? Now, I'm, I'm reading a very detailed book about all this. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. I believe he was a, a Pharisee. He was a fairly high up religious ruler. He went to Pilate and asked Pilate for permission to put Jesus in a tomb. Him and Nicodemus, who was also in the Sanhedrin, another high ranking religious official. He was the joker that Jesus had explained this whole being born again thing to. So these two guys take a bit of a risk. to place him in a tomb. Now, the other thing is this. If Jesus was just thrown into a trench with these other criminals, why would the Jewish religious leaders and the the Romans be so worried about the prophecy that he would rise again after three days? Right? No, no. There he is. He's there with all those other ones we just threw into into the trench. And fair dinkum, if rumours had started about this resurrected Jesus appearing, all they had to do was go and exhume the body and say, well, there it is. Right? There. That's the criminal from the right side. 
that's the criminal from the left side and that's the criminal in the middle. But they never did. No one ever found a body. Never found a body. It would have been dead easy for the authorities to exhume his body and prove that he was not resurrected. So this story that's supposed to undermine the idea of the resurrection hardly holds water. Let's move on to the next one. This is the one I've really enjoyed researching, the mass hallucination story. And this, this story goes like this. Everyone who saw Jesus after he was supposedly resurrected was hallucinating. Maybe they'd have been eating the same mushrooms or something. I don't know. I don't know. Mass hallucination. So I thought, I'm going to have a look and see what the literature in you know, psychology and all that sort of stuff said. You know what? It doesn't exist. And there might be one or two people who have written about it at some point, but it's theologians who have talked about this, not, not um, psychologists and psychiatrists. As far as I can determine, and I'm an economist, I'm not a blooming um, psychologist or um, whatever, psychiatrist, but I couldn't find any convincing, accepted evidence in that literature that says mass hallucinations ever happen. See, let's think about it a little bit. The, the women who, um, who saw Jesus, they weren't expecting that he was going to be resurrected. So it couldn't have been their emotional state that led them to have hallucinations. The disciples... Well, the only one who kind of hung around and witnessed the crucifixion was John, right? The rest of them got out of there because they were so frightened. They didn't believe in the resurrection because he died on the cross against their expectations. They had no hope. So why would have they then hallucinated? But this is the clincher. You Now, uh, just sort of go with me on this. If I'm hallucinating, can you see my hallucination? No, because it's in here, right? So tell me this. You tell me the Bible does say that on one occasion there were 500 people that saw the resurrected Jesus all at the same time, right? You tell me if uh, an hallucination is a private thing that's going on inside my head, how can 500 people have exactly the same hallucination at exactly the same time, especially when there's no scientific evidence that it can actually happen? Nah. Sorry. But guess what? It was initially <laughs> the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman authorities that were most worried about the resurrection. Not the disciples, because for them it was a big shock. See, the Jewish religious leaders and the Romans, they wanted to quash any evidence or any 
suggestion that this Jesus had actually been resurrected. In a sense, they had more faith than the disciples had. Because they worked so hard. Remember the chief priests even bribed the Roman soldiers to say someone stole a body. Which takes us to the next story. The stolen body story. This one suggests that the disciples stole the body from the tomb, which is what the religious leaders paid the Roman soldiers to say. Now again, not very likely. Not very likely because, remember the tomb was sealed and there was a guard. And and, and listen, man, the guards back in those, they weren't like us. They weren't slack like us. Right? If a prison officer fell asleep on the job and all the prisoners got out, they're not going to hang him, crucify him, are they? He'll probably get slapped on the wrist because the union will stick up for him. Nothing much will happen. We're a bunch of blooming wusses. It wasn't like that back then. If these guys made a mistake, it was... They were daddy bones. They were daddy bones. (laughs) They weren't going to let somebody come in the dead of night. I mean, how how quietly do you think you could roll a stone? Pardon the expression, but when you have to put in that much effort, sometimes you fart, right? (laughs) Like, can you imagine it? These flipping Roman soldiers, they're not going to miss something like that. See, how... Oh, fair dinkum. Again, the people who make these stories up, they've got no idea about the culture and about the, the environment, the history at the time. And even if these guards got sleepy, they wouldn't all go to sleep at the same time. They would not risk it. Now, the thing is this. At the risk of their lives, those guards did report the body is missing. Can you, I mean, on pain of death, right? You know, you know the death sentence awaits you if you do something. You're going to deliberately do it? Nah. Especially not all of you. I mean, it's just preposterous. The guards did report to the chief priests. Then the chief priest said, well... Lest we bribe you and you tell a story. Remember too, the disciples had run away. (laughs) I mean, the only one who was actually a witness to the actual crucifixion, as far as we can tell, was John. The other, well, Peter denied Christ three times and he hightailed it out of there. The disciples were frightened that they'd be next. I doubt very much if, if they would have hung around that tomb and then tried to move the stone. And in any case, the disciples didn't believe in the resurrection, so they had no incentive to make it look as if the body had gone. And we actually read in Scripture they didn't believe the women. They had to go see for themselves, remember, ultimately, they had to go see for themselves. 
women's testimony wasn't really worth much back in those days. I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing that they were the first. You know, God is just putting his finger on stuff all the time. Even then, it's the women who saw Jesus first. But the disciples didn't believe them. So the idea that the disciples or even someone else stole the body is pretty hard to substantiate. That's four. These are the four most common objections to the idea of the resurrection. And really, they belong in children's storybooks. Because the application of any kind of historical analysis would put the probability of any of those stories being correct very, very, very low. But let me just touch on one other point. And this is the evidence of changed lives. And remember, we're living in a time where upsetting the religious leaders of the day or upsetting the Roman authorities would almost certainly lead to death. And they weren't as civilised as the Muslims. They didn't just grab a sword and cut your head off. That's pretty quick. Right? If, If it had any tainting of insurrection against the Roman authorities, it would be crucifixion. And there were other punishments like stoning, and that's no picnic, being clubbed to death. Like There were no quick deaths. Big risk. James, the brother of Jesus, he was actually a sceptic. He did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Not until after the resurrection. He didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. His own brother. Or maybe it was because he was his brother and saw the dude when he was growing up. I don't know. (laughs) When I became a Christian, (laughs) the cleaner at Lincoln University where I was teaching at the time... (laughs) I used to talk to, you know, like I used to often talk to the cleaners because I I really believe that everybody makes an important contribution. It's not just the highfalutin academics. Anyway, I used to talk to Kath and I said, hey, Kath, I've become a Christian. And she she had a, like a pinafore thing on with with pockets in it and in one pocket she had her cigarettes and the other pocket was the cigarette lighter. She puts her hand in the pocket and she says, you bloody hypocrite. Maybe James was thinking like that, you know. <laughs> oh, I love Kath. <laughs> you bloody hypocrite. <laughs> of course I was in her eyes. Of course I was. Anyway, James didn't even believe Jesus. And then he became one of the leaders of the New Testament church, that early church. He was one of the leaders, a fearless Leader, you can read all about that and these others, by the way, in the book of Acts. What about Paul? Persecutor of Christians. I mean, he hated Christians so much, he sought permission to go and find them and kill them. 
That's what he did. He was a killer of Christians. No wonder he said, I am the greatest of sinners. Because <laughs> he probably was. But see, he had that personal encounter with Jesus. What did Jesus say? He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? His life was changed. He wrote most of what we now call the New Testament. He was stoned. He was flogged. He was shipwrecked. All these things happened to him. But he never, ever, 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 ever recanted. And we think he was eventually executed because of his preaching. Peter. Now, I've preached on Peter a few Pentecosts ago. Peter, Peter. Peter denies Jesus three times, runs away, has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus and also becomes a pillar of the early church. Tradition says he was ultimately crucified upside down because of his adherence to what they used to call the way. Almost all of the disciples were martyred. Even the new one who replaced Judas. A lot of them. The only one that we know for sure died of old age was John. Now some say they tried to kill him by boiling him in oil, but he survived it. I don't know whether that's true or not. It's a bit hard to tell. But what we can be very certain of based on historical records is that all but John were martyred. Some were crucified. Some were clubbed. Some uh, were flogged to death. Would you do that for an hallucination? I mean, I hope that if I was crucified or, or flogged, or clubbed, I wouldn't recant. I certainly hope I wouldn't. But let me tell you, you've got 11 out of the 12 disciples, not a single one of them recanted. Now, if, if one of them had, you'd say, yeah, well, kind of they're human beings, right? Now, if all of them had, you might have thought, well, yeah, they were probably making up a story and they weren't prepared to die for it. But every single one of them was prepared to die for it and all but one did. And, of course, John died a prisoner. Now, after I put this to bed last night, I, I was thinking, think also about these early Christians that... There, there's historical writing where, where the writers are saying, honestly, these Christians, they risk death because they're the only people who will tend those who have got the plague. See, the plague used to come around every decade or so and kill a lot of people. And it was the early church, they were the ones who went, and looked after the sick at the risk of catching the plague themselves, and many did. Changed lives. Changed lives. 
And we see it today. Changed lives. And people don't go back. Some do, but people don't go back. People have faced unbelievable pressures to recant. Missionaries, they've risked their lives. How can this be the result of some kind of conspiracy? How can 40 people, roughly, across 1,400 years, somehow collude? I mean, give us a break. How long had Moses been dead before the Gospels were written? How can a dead Moses collude with a live Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or Paul for that matter, or Peter, to write a book that's just a, a myth? About 300 prophetic words in regard to Jesus are recorded as having coming, come true in the New Testament. Now, the chances of that just happening, like as a fluke, as it were, are so close to zero, right, that it, if you like, the probability is what we call vanishingly close to, to zero. I was listening to a podcast this morning, actually. Once you get past 48, right, the probability is virtually zero. Well, there were more than 48 prophecies. See, we're talking here about independent um, occurrences based on probability. So when, when you've got independent occurrences, to get the probability, you multiply individual probabilities. Right? That's how you do it mathematically. Once you get past 38, it is vanishingly close, uh, 48 rather, it's vanishingly close to zero. We're talking about 300. It can't be a conspiracy. It can't be a heap of myth. And the other thing I would like to say is that you might find some parts of the Bible a bit difficult to understand or even to believe. But there is now such a significant body of evidence that the Bible is at least historically accurate. Names, places and events are incredibly accurate. Okay? Now, if we can be confident that this book is very, very reliable historically, then the few bits in it that today we find really hard to believe, perhaps there isn't any archaeological evidence or whatever to support it, based on the evidence that we have for the rest of it, it's a pretty safe thing to do to believe what you struggle with, okay? So if you do struggle, for example, with believing in the resurrection, and I don't think that's an issue for any of us here, have a look. There are thousands of documents around supporting the veracity of the New Testament, of those Gospels. The last slide... We can't know this for sure. 
there are three or four sites that have been identified over the centuries as the tomb in which Jesus was laid. As I said, we can't be 100% sure, but there is very, very strong evidence that this is it. Now, the tomb is long gone because there was a church built over it. And if you go back in history, that was fairly common. Now, the, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, I believe, was built during Constantine's time. I'm, just don't quote me on that. I'm not 100% certain if that's correct. But um, as far as we can tell from all the evidence available, and this, the, the whole um, church here, they had to do a whole lot of renovation on it just a few years ago in 2016. And, and I've read about the archaeological digs. They actually had to go and, and open the tomb. And they did some tests. I think they call them mitochondrial thingamajigs. Do you know what I'm talking about, do you, Fiona? Yeah. And, and you can actually, that, that um, can help. It's a very accurate way of pinpointing the age of, in this case it's limestone, I don't know exactly how it all works, but um, that evidence added to all the other, you know, written historical evidence that that is a likely candidate. As I say, we can't be 100% sure, but here again, there's a whole lot of evidence that points to this being the place where Jesus was actually buried, that it's a real place, not something imaginary now we're not going to find his bones and everything there's not going to be an ossuary in there with his bones in it because he raised he, he he rose from the dead so it's got to be an empty tomb and it ever and it always has been an empty tomb jesus resurrection actually happened and you can be confident that it happened because the four most common arguments against it can actually be refuted pretty easily on the basis of logic on the basis of the biblical record and on the basis of extra biblical records as well people like Eusebius the the Jewish non-Christian historian and there's also Romans and others who have written about it and how amazed they were at what Christians would do because of their faith. So we'll leave it at that because I reckon it's time for some community time. God bless you.